If you are new here in your family, we just want to welcome you. Uh, and, uh, and if you're new here and you're not in a family, we'd like to welcome you. If you're new here and um, you have some sort of strange growth on your foot, um, I could keep going. I think I'm funny, but I'm not funny. It's really tough as a pastor because you're up here and you're, you know, people expect you to kind of entertain them while being also really serious. Not very good at the first part. We're going through a series in the book of Philippians, uh, and we timed the series out that we would land uh, when we hit this season of Lent, which is a time from Ash Wednesday to Easter of focusing in on, on the heart. It's a season of deep reflection, of recognizing our brokenness and our, our sinful posture, the, the ways in which we slip up. Now, we always want to be a church that is acknowledging our brokenness and confessing that. We always want to be a church um, that is being reminded of our assurance and who we are now as children of God, deeply loved, which is why in the beginning of our service, we do that every week. We go from gathering to confession to assurance. Um, but Lent is a little bit more zeroing down into kind of what's really going on in the state of our heart. And so we timed to uh, land our series at Philippians 2 and we sort of took what was the name of the series, Outpost of Love, and sort of renamed it for Lent. And we just simply called it The Way of the Cross. And so as we've been journeying through Philippians 2, we've noticed a number of things. Uh, what, what it means to truly be humble, to live without selfish ambition or vain conceit. We've learned that the way of Jesus is actually one of humility. So when, we, when people ask, well, what is your God like? Well, our God, is, our God washes the feet of the, of the broken. Our, our God humbled himself in such a way, stepped off his throne and revealed himself in a baby born in straw to show us what love truly look like, looks like. Uh, we hear in that beautiful Christ hymn in Philippians 2 that our God's the sort of God who lays down his life for not only his friends, but his enemies. And so this is our posture. So when we talk about the way of the cross as we are journeying in this season towards Good Friday, towards the day that we really zero in on what's happened on the cross um, we hopefully are gaining more and more of a posture of, of humility, not just in being a, a false humility or, or a real humility towards each other, but, but a, a, a sense of, um, what, how would I say this, um, a, a better understanding of who we are in light of who God is, simply that. I think we uh, are put with pressures all the time that we are to be masters of our own universe, uh, we are reinforced in 18 different ways uh, that, that we are sort of in control. And there's this myth that anybody who's really done any searching of their heart and their situation knows they're not. So we are really excited about this, uh, this season together. And so as we've been journeying through Philippians 2, we've been going just small chunk by small chunk. And right now we're at verses 17 and 18. If you have your bulletin. And you open that up, uh, there's a place where there's a place for sermon notes and a few quotes, some reflection questions, some extra scripture if you want to go deeper into the text. Just wanted to draw your attention to that. Uh, so if you would, we have a, a practice that we love to do here. It's sort of an ancient practice of standing when the word of God, when the Bible is written, when the Bible is read out loud. So even if you're new here and you don't really have any reverence towards the scripture, um, just flex your muscles if you'd like. So if you would stand for the reading of the word. Philippians 2. This is the writer Paul, and he's speaking to a church in a city called Philippi, a colony of Rome. He says, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. 
so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So I'm going to start out with a small snippet of history. The first line, we're just going to go line by line and then talk about the implications of this. The first line here, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering. I don't know how many of you have uttered that line recently, being poured out like a drink offering. It's not normal language that we use. In fact, sacrifice, offering, blood, things you read a lot about in scripture, we actually don't get that very often. We don't talk like that. We don't have a system that's built around sacrifice. So Paul is alluding to a practice amongst both Jews and, uh, and pagans. And pagans here uh, are literally just anyone, not, almost anyone not Jewish when they're referring to pagans and their sacrifices. They often poured out wine, sometimes perfume, either beside, which was the Jewish practice, or on top of um, the sacrifice that they are offering. There are all sorts of different gods, all sorts of different ideas of where the gods were, right? And usually the gods are just up because we don't know what's up. And the understanding for what's powerful about the Judeo-Christian story is uh, this bringing sacrifices to God, right? God commands this in the Old Testament. There's a number of passages and numbers that are up on the screen if you want to go deeper and reading some of the context. But Paul is referencing, in, even though he's speaking to a, a pagan crowd as well, this Jewish understanding that you could actually know where you stood with God. It was actually very powerful in a a world where everybody was offering sacrifices, where you would sacrifice and sacrifice because, you know, God didn't provide or the gods didn't provide for your family or you're struggling with finances or your crop didn't come in this year, you're looking for a better job. Depending on where you mark it in history, the reasons for the sacrifices changed, but it was all, I need to appease this God. So in the brilliance of our understanding here as Christians of God, God um, steps into creation and gives them the law. And he shows them what it looks like. Look, in this culture, you can actually know where you stand. You don't have to have this existential angst. We're told later on in scripture that actually God never needed a blood sacrifice. It wasn't for God, which begs the question, who is it for? It It was for us that we would know that we are at peace with this God. So God commanded them, come and bring a sacrifice. That's it. There was the scapegoat, for those of you who know a little bit of Old Testament history, it would send the sins out of the camp. Depending on where you mark the time in the history of, of the world, sort of a long history, There's different understandings of what's being sacrificed. But this drink offering, this libation, was sort of like a little extra. And what would happen is, um, for those of you, I wanted to do this as an exercise, but we thought we don't want to burn down Gloria Day. So uh, we're just going to go with me making odd hand gestures, and you're just going to try to get it. So imagine with me. I'm doing a lot of imagining with my daughter. This is really exciting. So there's an altar here, and there's a sacrifice, usually some sort of animal sacrifice. As a vegetarian, this is pretty tough for me. For those, <laughs> never mind. Anyone watch Parks and Rec? Yeah, Ron Swanson. The Ron Swanson character, if you're unfamiliar, he's like this libertarian, meat-eating, gun-toting, like really awesome guy, but just sort of like, just raw, right? Everything is just like, just cut to the chase, like no BS. And so there's this episode where he is doing a barbecue and he brings a pig to the barbecue. 
Um, and usually the lead character does this big staff barbecue and he's taking over this time. And uh, the pig's name is Tom. He's like, I'd like you to meet your meat. And it's this really adorable pig. You know, it's like in the middle of the park and he's about ready to cut this thing open. And yeah, that's it. It's great, great episode. So they would put, they would not eat the sacrifice. They would put the animal on the altar. They would light the thing on fire. And this would be the sacrifice. So again, depending on what point in history, the sacrifice would look a bit different. But in pouring the wine or pouring the perfume in or around, what happens when you pour that on something really hot? Right. So up goes the smoke, and there is a sense of the essence, the, the presence, the sacrifice is actually going up to the heavens. So this is why you would do this. This is an important picture to keep in mind as Paul is talking. Second thing about the context, and I'm going to hopefully help this make sense in a bit. The grammar of the phrase, if it's back on the screen, I am being poured out. Uh, this word in the Greek is actually on the screen, I think, now. Paul indicated the possibility that his execution is about to happen. So Paul is saying, look, I, I'm going to be poured out like a drink offering on the altar of your faith. So Paul's using all of this ancient Jewish language, and he's saying, I, I actually might be poured out, which is a Jewish way of saying I might die. I, I might die. I might be actually sacrificed at any moment now. And, and I want you to see this sacrifice as sort of a, 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 a libation, a, a drink offering on top of what you have already sacrificed to God. Paul does something here that he does all over scripture. He connects sacrifice and service with the faith of this church that he's writing to. And he has this view, this ancient picture of sacrifice, this reality that they are all very well aware of, pagan or Jew, that he's writing to in this ancient colony. They all have a very firm grasp on what a sacrifice is. And he actually is not talking about meat. He is not talking about sacrificing things on an altar. He is talking about their lives. And we get the best picture of this in Romans 12. This is like a classic Christian passage. This is like the let it be of the Bible, right? The I want to hold your hand of the Bible. The oops, I did it again of the Bible. No, it's classic. Romans 12. Therefore, it goes on from there. But uh, I just hit a button on the iPad and it disappeared. Sorry, everyone. Hey, Adam, how do I get this back? I'm not using my iPad. Ad oh, I got it. Here we go. Sorry about that. Romans 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is strange. This sounds normal to us. We've heard this before. But this metaphor is so deeply um, just, uh, it's right in front of them. It would be the equivalent when Jesus says, like, pick up your cross and follow me, right? If those of you familiar with that verse, that would be the equivalent of him saying, look, guys, find your electric chair. Yep, find your electric chair and follow me. Find your noose and follow me. We detach the cross, for instance, from its raw, this was an execution device in Rome. In the same way, we cannot detach what he's saying about sacrifices here from this metaphor. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, 
in view of God's mercy. So in light of what God has done for you, now what, do we, what has God done for us? What is Paul tapping into? What sacrifice is Paul tapping into? What is he in view of when he says in view of God's mercy? This is the cross, is Jesus. He's living with an understanding that the God of the universe has died for him. That there's nothing that he could do to earn salvation, life, freedom, removal of shame, no fear in death. All the beauty and power that comes, that we understand as Christians, come from being a follower of Jesus. He's saying in view of God's mercy... In view of the fact that I recognize I am a broken person with a propensity for so much evil and so much good, but yet you, God, have actually just rescued me. You have stepped in and done what I couldn't do. I don't have to earn my way to anything. I am loved. He's saying in view of God's mercy, how could I not? In view of the sacrifice of Jesus, sacrificing himself, for the sins of everyone, what we do at communion every single week. In view of that kind of love, how could I not be a living sacrifice? Which is so strange because what are sacrifices inherently? What are sacrifices? Are they, are they walking around on the altar with the fire? Give it back to me, not hypothetical. Are altars walking around, are animals walking around on the altar? What are they? Dead. Were you awake this morning? Animal, dead. Got it. In view of God's mercy, to offer your body is a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. So actually the sacrifice to God, this offer to God is actually, it's actually incredible. It's actually, it's actually alive and it's moving. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. So there's something about living the way of Jesus. There's something about saying, actually, I'm going to, to live my life in response of what God has done, to sacrifice the way God has sacrificed, and then actually making sense of God's will for my life will actually happen. Keep this in the front of your mind. Sometimes we sit and we go, man, I just try to figure out God's will. Are you giving? I don't mean like, are you giving in the offering plate? I mean like, are you giving? Are you generous? Are you pouring out? Are you living in response to what God has done? There are completely like related consequences of in view of that, in view of what God has done for me, in view of that kind of love that's been lavished on me, how could I not? And in doing that and in pouring out and loving others, he actually connects it to knowing God's will and living the life that you're called to live. There are direct correlations here. Verse three, for by grace given me, I say to every one of you, Paul's talking to a church in Rome here again, reminder, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. So now he's tying it to community. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, through many, form one body, and each members belong to each other. So real quick, don't get lost in the language. Here's, Jesus, here's Paul saying, in light of what God's done, pour yourself out as a sacrifice. By the way, all of you sacrifice very differently. By the way, you're all gifted in very different sorts of ways. By the way, what it looks like to, for us to be a community 
for us to be in, live in response to this means what our sacrifices are going to be like, what our offerings of love are going to be and generosity are going to be different, and we would love for them to function as one body. Some of you have various gifts, and he lists off different gifts, encouragement and teaching, giving. If it is to lead, lead diligently. And then in verse 9, he shifts Again, all in response to God's mercy. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share the Lord's people. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless those who persecute you. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. You are no different than the homeless man outside. Associate with those that you don't want to associate with. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. Goes on. I read through this list because this is what it looks like for Paul, at least to the church in Rome, to be a living sacrifice. And for so many of us, we go, oh yeah, that's a great list. I could read that verse in any setting. In any setting, the most like, God-hating, resistant to, to Christian like, room ever ever and people would be like yeah yeah bless those love your enemy that's great this all though hinges on living in light of God's mercy to be able to truly engage this I have no doubt that there are folks we all know this who don't know Jesus who are hitting pieces of this I know some people who know Jesus who really struggle with this list The reality here is what he is saying is to truly live the way you are created to live and what will give you the fuel, energy, fire, power to be able to go the distance and becoming more and more this sort of sacrifice, you need to live in light of that one. We need to live in light of that one. I realize I point over here and there's actually nothing over here. But so whenever I do this, I'm talking about the cross, all right? Maybe I might switch it up and go that side. Live in light of God's mercy. So Paul here, if we go back to the verse in Philippians, is, is saying, guys, I'm, even if I die tomorrow, I am, I am poured out like a drink offering on top of what is already your faith and sacrifice. Now, this is really important as we dive deeper into this text to understand something about Paul. Paul is driven by, uh, I hesitate to use the word fear, but it comes off like this in scripture. This incessant fear that he might run or labor in vain. Like Paul is genuinely, seems worried, worried again, maybe the wrong word, but aware, cautious, on guard. He is on guard against, I might not be sacrificing right. That my sacrifice will not be pleasing to God. That when I die, that if I am persecuted by the Romans, guys, as he's like writing Philippians, writing the, the, the church, that guys, this... I I am now assured that if I am poured out, this will be a fragrance that will go up to God. On top of the power of this church community that you guys are, I'm gonna be like that wine poured on top. It's gonna make it go up. He's finally, he seems here confident 
But as we go back, even the verse before, if you look at the verse, if you have it open, Philippians 2 and verse 16, he talks about in vain. Like, I don't want to run the race in vain. I don't want to labor in vain. As if I could be doing a bunch of work in a particular direction, and it might be for naught. Paul is worried about this. Paul is cautious of this. He is on guard. In another passage, uh, he talks about not running the race well. I don't want to get the prize. I don't want to have lived my life and run and run and done ministry and done this and went to church every day. and Whatever it is, I've donated my time and my money. I worked in this way. I got checked off the boxes, that, like the good person boxes. I am, again, I, 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 I hesitate to use the word scared but there's something in the text here that Paul feels the need to go back over and over and over to add caution, to to, to, to say, guys, slow down, yellow light here. Are you running the race well? In another place, he expresses a fear um, that all the work that he's done, all the, the, the foundation that he has built on, that it would be burned up, which is his way of saying it won't like last into eternity. Like it's not worth anything that I will have even done things in the name of Jesus, in the name of, you know, church, and it will be for naught. It will be wasted. Unless you're asleep right now, which is possible. It's very cozy in here. There should be this little lights going on your dashboard. The question, how is it with us? Are we running in vain? Are we laboring in vain? Does this line up with the pictures that we see in scripture of what it truly means to be a sacrifice, a living sacrifice? And again, this is in response to God, to the gospel, to the good news of what Jesus has done in his love. So don't go just one click back and go, oh my gosh, am I running the race well? Am I building on a found, am I building like uselessness on the foundation of Jesus? Am I missing? That's a hard question to ask. I literally pray for you right now, like just having it, like let God like speak something powerful into your heart. Like be open to that. Like what is it? You're like, oh gosh, I don't want this conviction. Block it out, block it out, block it out. Instagram, Instagram, Instagram. <laughs> like what is it? Is there, is there something there where you, you need to actually cause us into question? If Paul is asking, am I running this race well? Am I building on the wrong foundation? But don't just go one click back to like, okay, crap, I better get my life in order. Go one more click back to, am I living in light of the gospel? Am I living in light of what Christ has done? Because that will be the thing that enables you and sets you free to be able to ask the question without guilt and shame. Am I living the life that Christ called me to live? When I go back to that list in Romans 12, Am I blessing those who persecute me? Am I becoming the kind of person? Is my life being poured out in the right sorts of ways? How is it with us? So many days, hear this, so many days are lived in vain, right? Every one of us could point to a day that was lived in vain. So many books are written in vain. So many sermons are preached in vain. I've got a number of them. What on earth? Not like it went bad. It's like that didn't come from that God. Who was that? 
so many philanthropic activities expended in vain. What is a life poured out? So Paul, going back to Philippians 2, I, I'm like a drink offering poured out on, the faith, on your faith. Your faith is an offering to God. So again, just to put this, if you're struggling with all the different contexts swirling around, you know, Adam, one of the leaders in our church, is doing some ministry in some very, you know, volatile area of the world. You know, let's imagine Adam, you know, all he did, he helped plant this church. And so Adam, Adam writes us a letter. He sends us a message. He says, guys, I, I, it looks like I'm going down. I'm in jail. This is not going to end well. But he's like, because of like, you guys are like, you, you sent money to me. You allowed me to do this good work that I'm doing. You cared for me. You, pray, you prayed for me. You sent somebody to come and take care of me, right? This is the case with Paul. And he goes, even if I die tomorrow, like know that I am just, like rejoice in this. I'm just an offering poured out on like what you guys are already doing, the faith that you have, the trust that you have in Jesus, the life that is lived well, that is poured out, all that you've been doing. Remember, Paul's writing this church to this church in Philippi, and they're actually killing it as far as we can tell. They're like a really mature community. Like they're loving well. He is so ecstatic that they gave him these gifts, that they're taking care of Paul in prison. And he, so he just acknowledges this with unbelievable humility. But when we ask the question, okay, what is a life poured out? What, what was it that this Philippian church was doing, this poured out life? What was it? Faith is at the center. They have faith. They have faith in, and then insert fill in the blank all that God does. They have faith in God that he is renewing all things. They have faith in God that he is Lord and not Caesar. They have faith in God that he is um, going to bring to completion the good work that he started them. They have faith in God that all the love and peace and generosity they need is there. They have faith that God is on the throne and Caesar is not. They have faith that this whole thing is going to end and be resolved. They have a deep faith in Christ. And so we as Christians are simply saying that. Hopefully we are a church that is growing in, in faith. Because for some of you, you come into this room and you, you're really struggling with your faith in Jesus. Some of you um, don't have any faith or you don't think you do. And so I would just humbly submit to you that all of us have convictions, that all of us have faith in something. I think one of the like, central assertions of the Christian worldview is that there is more, that we don't wanna be closed off, that we wanna be open to the God that's at work. We've said this before, but you know, and if you're here and you, you would consider yourself agnostic or, or atheist, or if you're here struggling, um, you, you are a person of extraordinary faith. You are. You, you, you have faith that this is all that there is, that faith that we are just the sum total of our parts, that we are the, the random accident and exp, you know, that's happened in, in the world. You have faith that, that this is all that there is and that there is nothing more. All of us make decisions every day about what's important, about how to treat people, about what we live in response to. And these decisions come from what we believe about every aspect of our existence. 
We've been formed, every one of us, by the people and places and things around us. And ultimately, we just begin to trust. We, we trust in, well, no, really, this is all there is. We trust that actually there's no moral arc to the universe. We trust that there's this sense of love or spirituality. We trust all sorts of things. We make decisions about how we're going to live our life. In fact, some insist that they aren't influenced by any person or any religion or any system that they think for themselves. And though that's a very honest perspective, the problem is that perspective came from culture. That came from a, an understanding, a very recent understanding. The truth that things can be true for you and not for me is a, is a way to see the world. That takes a leap of faith that every truth is relative. I'm not going to launch into a large like philosophical discussion about relativism, but everybody has faith in something and somebody. We're all believers, and as a Christian, I'm simply trying to orient myself around living a particular kind of way, the way of Jesus. I'm simply trying to live in response to something that I believe has happened at the center of the universe. This isn't irrational. This isn't blind. This is simply acknowledging that everybody is living a way. I'm convinced that being generous like we read in Romans 12. I'm convinced that being compassionate like we read in Romans 12, that being living, being a person of peace. I'm convinced that this is the best possible way to live. I'm convinced that actually this is who we are at our core. Like this is what God created us to be. And I'm convinced that we can only do this and let go of our sin and brokenness and let go of the, 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 the shame and angst that we have in our hearts. We can only do that in light of what Jesus has done for us. All right, we've used this phrase often. Christianity in its essence is about belonging to someone, not just believing in something. So that we as people are actually, we believe we are in relationship with the God of the universe. This is a way of life. This is a, 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 when we talk about what it means to be poured out, when we talk about what it means to be a living sacrifice, when we talk about what it looks like for us to live in response to the good news of Jesus. We recognize that this is more than just adhering to beliefs, but belonging to Jesus. So as we kind of land towards the end of this passage, let me try to tie this together for us. Living a life of sacrifice then, as we read in Romans 12, is, is an intentional life. It's an intentional life. Living life in a way that we're aware that we can be poured out in all the wrong places. Living, recognizing that we can live a life that is not actually poured out on the altar to God. If we use this altar analogy and we keep going with what Paul's doing, he's saying you as a church have offered this beautiful sacrifice, this community of love and grace and peace. And my death, whatever I do with my life, I know that I am adding to that sacrifice. But the question becomes is, are we actually on the altar? Is our sacrifice good and true and beautiful? Again, are we laboring in vain? For Paul, there's no regrets. For Paul, he's like, I can go to my death. For someone who's like, yeah, I'm ready to die. Like that's someone who doesn't carry around a bunch of regret that I'm living a life poured out for the glory of God. Where is your life being poured out? Like just evaluate, what are the things it's being poured out on? What are the things that's being poured out on? I was thinking of this analogy. It's a little bit of a, kind of an awkward analogy, I guess, in some way, but I think it works. So these are the, this is really embarrassing, actually, because we don't do a very good job watering our plants in our house. So next to our piano, 
um, or like this like little garden of plants. Uh, buddy and I, when we moved in, just kind of arranged them that way. We're like, this is great. I'll put one down here. This one in particular, I got to tell you a really good story. Look, look at this guy. Yeah, this is Corey's plant. I had nothing to do with no. Actually, the opposite. So my mom gave this to me when I really wanted some, like, greens in my house as a bachelor, maybe, like, seven or eight years ago. And she's like, you can't kill this plant. I'm like, Mom, I'm so bad with watering plants, right? This is still stereotypical. Like, I just don't remember to water the plant. Sure enough, like, I remember I went to Portland for two and a half weeks. I didn't ask anybody to water it. I came back, this thing was, like, flat. Just flat, like, laying down. It had given up. <laughs> like, surrender. Talk about sacrifice. It was done. So sure enough, I put it in the sunlight, I gave it water for two weeks, and the thing came back and had white flowers, and it was amazing. Indestructible plant. That's my story. But we've clearly almost killed it again. <laughs> this is the side that's near the green, near the sun, and everything else is, yeah. So Paul's talking about, look, I want to be poured out. Actually, I'm being poured out all the time, right? As soon as you're born, you start dying. Isn't that how the line goes? We're all dying. Like, this is, we're going to not, some of you will not be here next Sunday. I pray you are. There's a probably really good statistical chance that that might happen. S some of you maybe have 30 years left. Maybe some of you got 50. I, I don't know. But we're all in the process of, we're all being poured out. And so Paul is saying, look, this church that you're a part of, this Philippine church, you guys, your faith, your faith in God, your faith in what he is doing, Man, it is translated to unbelievable actions. You guys are a living sacrifice. This is powerful. And me, I'm just like added like, like a drink offering on top. But I know I'm being poured out on the altar of Christ. So we can live. I mean, if I were to pour, if I were to just simply like, just imagine this to be my life. And then all of these plants are the, the really the good places. These are the places of, of Jesus. These are the... These are the, the life worth, or the water poured out on the altar. These are the, the moments of, of, of beauty and truth that line up with the way of God. This is the will of God. And so if I'm not intentional as we're pouring things out, things are going to get really awkward. Like, not just because I'm going to pour water all over myself. Like, this is, this is a life that, that misses the boat. And so if I water my plants, and I pour water the plants like this, like, that's an unbelievable amount of water that misses the plants. Like, Paul is speaking with a kind of intentionality where he's like, actually, I'm really aware that I'm going to run the race well. Oh, maybe not that well. <laughs> like I said, it's a little sloppy analogy, literally. Yeah, sorry about that. This is how Paul waters. This is, when he says I'm being poured out like a drink offering, I'm being poured out on the altar of Christ. I mean, th this is what it means to not live a life that's wasted. And as we asked the questions before, it's really easy and very, very possible for us to quickly waste our life. He's saying, all right, what are you, what are you being poured out onto? Are you pouring, is your life being poured out on the things that matter? Are you living in response to what Jesus has done? The fruit of his ministry is that people are living the gospel, and Paul is excited about this. There's a number of things I, I can kind of add here, but just in this, for the sake of time, I just, it's really important that we see too in the end of this passage, 
when Paul lands it and I am glad and rejoice with all of you, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. He's like being unbelievably humble here. Uh, George Williams says this, the quote's on the screen. The apostle, this is Paul, compares the self-sacrifice and energy of the Philippians with his own, magnifying theirs and minimizing his. They are both laying down their lives for the sake of the gospel, but their action he regards as the great sacrifice, and his is only the drink offering poured out upon it. Under this beauteous figure of speech, he speaks of his possible approaching death as a martyr. And then uh, T.R. West adds, what humility for the great apostle to rejoice at the fact that someday he would be the lesser part of the sacrifice poured upon the major part, the Philippians' Christian testimony and service to God. Paul has... He doesn't know this yet, but like written half the Bible. Paul is one of the great heroes of the faith. Paul has lived a life in, life in service to others, starting churches, starting outposts of love and justice and mercy. Paul has been intentional with pouring the water into the right glasses. In fact, Paul is really cautious and aware that I don't want to pour on the floor. I want to make sure it gets in the plant. I want to live a life that is intentional and focused in light of God's great mercy and grace. And in all of of that grandness that we speak of this writer Paul he goes man I'm just like a drink offering on top of what you guys are doing I'm, I mean this is I mean I love this this is the way of the cross that Paul not only is so deeply zeroed into what it means to be a living sacrifice pleasing to God living the way he was made to live he is so quick to pass the praise, to pass the honor. He is so overwhelmed. He uses the word rejoice over and over in this whole letter. He's like, I am just so, I'm loving the fact that you guys, this is all on your altar. This is a sense of being for one another that we so often lack in the church. In so many ways, it's a second, it's a separate sermon. But I've got to end here that even though the main thrust of this place here with Paul is saying, uh, you know, look, you guys are living this way and it's beautiful and I'm just a part of this. Paul is just unbelievably ecstatic that the person sitting next to him and the person sitting down the end of the pew, that the person that they're journeying with in their life, that they're getting it, that they are not wasting their life, that they are not pouring on the ground anymore. I want to invite the band up and we're, we're going to spend some time here just reflecting as we did last week on a couple questions. They're also in your bulletin, but they'll, they'll be kind of walk through on the screen. And our hope is this, that we would actually spend a few minutes asking questions like, where do I labor in vain? Like, where is my life directed at things that just don't matter? And let's not gauge what matters and doesn't matter by like just our own insight. Not that God hasn't given us insight, but let's actually throw it against the scriptures. Let's actually gauge it based on what God says, not what we think God is saying. So much wasted life happens when we direct a bunch of energy in a place that God never wanted us to in the first place. Some of you, for the first time, this is just you praying, God, I want to walk in your way. For some of you, you've never said yes to Jesus and, and, 
actually in light of God's great mercy, I actually want to live in light of that kind of love. And I want to say, yes, God, I, I want to trust that that sort of love exists. I want to trust that truly I am your kid, that there's nothing I can do to earn anything, that I am loved exactly where I'm at in all of my doubt and in all of my questions and in all of my frustrations and in all of my sin and all of my addiction, that right there in that place I am loved. I want to live in response to that. And some of you have been walking with Jesus for a long time and you really don't want to ask this question because Jesus is not Lord of your life. And I would just humbly, humbly encourage you to stop it. Like, stop. Like, that is where the life is. It is the best possible place to live, to live in submission to the God of the universe, to live in light of a father who wants to show you what life looks like, what it means to be truly who you are. Stop living your own way. And you, I don't need to give you examples. You know exactly what it means. Like, right now, you're like, there's something piercing your head, and you're trying to kick it away. Like, what is it for you that you need to go, okay. This is, I am not living as a living sacrifice poured out to God. I am stingy, ungenerous, unloving, and doing my own thing when there is so much I know that God has for me. Let this time be one that is in response to the love of God, and may it transform, encourage, and convict as it so often does. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to a time of reflection, I pray that we would... Uh, be open-minded people. We would not be closed off. We wanna be open to what you have for us. It seems like the, the theme of our worship today is just, just laying down the distractions and confusion and the, the noise of life. Just laying it down and, and saying, okay, I, I, wanna, I wanna know, Lord, what you have for me today. And more importantly, what you have for us as a church, just getting to know one another and just figuring out what it means to journey together for the sake of this city, Lord. So as these questions roll over us, Lord, I pray for conviction, I pray for encouragement. I pray that you would do what only you can do. In your name, we pray.